Welcome to Try Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news, tips, and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people of Valley Contacts who've made this podcast possible, makers of stellar gas permeable lenses and the oh-so-incredible custom stable scleral lens. In case you're wondering, I'm on the East Coast. My name is Dr. James Diem, and I'm joined by my talented co-host, repping the West Coast, Dr. Roya Habibi. What is up, Roya? How are you? Today's great. FYI, as an eye doctor, you should know that today, July 12th, is It's National, National Trichiasis Day. No. Well, is it? No, it's not. I no, for real, though, it's National <laughs> Different Colored Eyes Day. Ooh, heterochromia? Heterochromia. Yes, sir. I love it. Yes, Yes. sir. Do you want to give everyone a little rundown on what that is? (laughs) Heterochromia, different eye colors. There you go. That's the rundown. Uh, And we celebrate (laughs) you all today. Um, If you have, uh, what is it? It's a Horner syndrome is the one, you know, that you can have a abnormal eye, you know, different colored eyes or, you know, um, little tuft of hair that may be, you know, gray or... um, you know, those types of things. So, there, yeah. Did you know there are three types of heterochromia? I had no idea. Okay. There is complete heterochromia. That's when you okay. have two different irises, two different totally iris colors. Different. Segmented okay. when there's a patch of color on one iris that's different than the overall color. And central okay. heterochromia, which is the more common type not as visually striking, but when the irises match each other, but have a ring of different color around the pupils. For instance, hmm. someone with blue eyes might have a thin ring of hazel or brown around their pupil. Hmm. There is some that? heterochromia in folklore, it, though it's a intriguing anomaly. Um, for instance, in Native American cultures, they believe that having a heterochromia meant that people can see into heaven and earth at the same time through different color eyes. They refer to this as having ghost eyes. Uh, On the other side of the world, Eastern European pagans believe being born with heterochromia mean that the person has witch eyes. (laughs) I found this from a vision source reference. (laughs) I'll link it for for, uh, credit where credit's due, but... But yes. either way, things that we would think about for heterochromia as eye care providers, aside from the ooh and ah of having two, two different color eyes, obviously we think about different types of glaucoma, correct? Yeah, sure. It's, I think you're at more rate of that. <laughs> Pretty sure there's right? only Is, 1%, that a thing? 1% of people have this problem. Just FYI. So anyways, that's, that's, the, that's all I got. All right, I'll take it. Sounds good. Well, um, it's middle of summer. Uh, we are turning up the heat on your uh, financial game, right? So we want to um, go ahead and jump right into our main uh, topic and uh, great guest. So let's let's do it. What do you think? Okay, you guys, I want to stage the scene a second. So I was talking to someone recently, and I had a really, you know, enlightening email that I read. And I was like, our listeners need to hear this. So I might give it away right away, but I'm going to tell you a little bit and then we'll, we'll go into more. So essentially there's a practice owner who's in his early forties. He, she's in his early forties doing 2.1 million top line 
for their practice yearly, netting 600000 a year pre-tax in their practice. So we'd all say, well, damn, that sounds pretty good. Good margins. That sounds great. Sure, there are some that are better, but there's a lot more that aren't that good. But this doc is still super worried that they're not going to have enough money for retirement, right? And they've accumulated about $1.5 in investments, are mostly debt-free aside from uh, a little bit of a practice slash home mortgage they're dealing with, but still kind of worried, right? And regardless of what your numbers are, if they match that, if they're above or below, we all worry about retirement because I don't think any of us as doctors really were trained to understand what to do to prepare yourself, whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever, for retirement, aside from the things we read on Reddit. <laughs> so in comes our our legit know-it-all, but not a know-it-all on this sort of topic. Jimmy, I want you to introduce our guest. He he does actually know it all. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really uh, pretty cool because... I don't. I don't actually know. He's been on the our podcast once before, uh, and I, I'm not sure how that came to be, how that connection occurred. Uh, I, I think there was a conversation. I, I'm not sure who reached out to who, but um, Roy's like, "Hey, we got this guy. He's he's really great. He actually has his own podcast. It's called 2020 Money. I mean, isn't that cool? He's a financial planner, and he really kind of focuses on." I care providers and and optometrists. I'm like, who the hell is this goofball? Who, the hell, who in their right mind would want to focus on optometrists? We're the dumbest, you know, financial people. But I'm like, ding, that makes sense. We don't know shit, so that's that's perfect. <laughs> actually, you know, he's he's a very smart man. So as time has gone on, I have come to be a. I am. I've drank all of the Kool Aid of this guy, and I <laughs> I, I, I listen every week. Literally every week. So uh, I run with your podcast every single week. I really do enjoy it. Um, even when you do reruns, I, I listen to the reruns. And uh, I and I know you don't do that often. The rewinds, I, right? The rewinds. I listen. I do. I really enjoy it. It's all. You're very entertaining. You're easy to listen to. And I always uh, take something home. Uh, that I can put into practice or just think about. You know what what I'm doing in my life. So. Adam Schmela, he is a certified financial planner, uh, practitioner, and president of Integrated Planning and Wealth Management, a comprehensive financial services firm focused on working with, you guessed it, doctors of optometry <laughs> to help them achieve their true financial potential, build financial confidence and clarity, and delivering kindness and compassion to every relationship they're privileged privilege to serve. And if you're wondering, yes, I did read that right off of his website. <laughs> so, Which uh, means he, as I listen to that, I've got to give that some rework because that just sounds too <laughs> agency-ish. And yeah. it's like, now that I, you know, it's one of those things, now that you hear it yourself, you're, you're like, like yeah. gosh, I got to take that back to the wood you're shop like, and just I didn't write that. Misery. Who did that? <laughs> no, like, the sad thing like, is I did write that at I some know, point because I, I, I thought, hey, this will resonate well with my audience. <laughs> and then you listen to it and you're like, Nope, missed. I hate <laughs> that. All I, hate being too self-critical. I think we all are. Even today, I was looking at something I gave it a patient, and she was like, it says to do this. I was like, no, it doesn't. And I read it, and I was like, I made that pamphlet, and it says that. <laughs> You're right. Why did I write that? I hate that I wrote that. Or whatever. You know, like, we write stuff sometimes in our, you know, we get we get better, and we progress. Yep. 
And we he, he's a, a University of Wisconsin graduate. I don't know that I remember talking about University of Wisconsin Green Bay. So Green is, that, Bay, is yes. that different than University of Wisconsin Madison? It's different. It is. So that would be the equivalent of like um, in Indiana here. That would be like um, IU Evansville or but something is, like is it that. Still like it's, the Badgers. It's part of the it, No, no. So we are the Phoenix, the oh. University of Wisconsin Green Bay Phoenix. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. You have good. your own mascot. We rise Very from the ashes. Important. No football team. <laughs> no. Football well, one thing team. that when I do like about Lambeau your website field is university. You you know that having a having a football team in the shadows of Lambeau Field as university is just okay. like <laughs> no no. Just do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Love it. So, I wouldn't understand. Yeah. I went to a small school called Clemson. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, our student body was like six thousand people. So it's it's <laughs> like I know high schools that are bigger than that. Yeah. <laughs> So and and uh, as as we said, he's he's a certified financial planner. Focuses on you know um, allowing his clients to live their life on purpose. I love listening to his podcast. I would highly recommend it to all of you. Uh, no matter where you're at in your career, if you're a student, if you are a new grad, or uh, you know practicing doctor in a practice as an employed off as an employed doctor, or you know an owner of some type. I think there's a lot of value there. So thank you. Doc- yeah. Dr. Shmela <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> for, for joining us. Uh, you know, money doctor. Uh, you might we'll as well call you doctor. a money doctor. Yeah. yeah. You got no, a lot doctor of, of finance. Yeah. <laughs> and everything. So. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited for this conversation. And, and I was thinking about that too. I was trying to think about the, 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 not the, go off on a, on a tangent here, right off the bat here, but it, it's just amazing. The power of connection, the power of relationships. And as you, regardless of what business that you're in optometry, or in my case, financial planning, wealth management, the, the connections that you make, the relationships, the friendships that you build as the years go by, it's like, gosh, you really, the whole, what uh, Kevin Bacon, seven degrees of separation. Like it, it's, it's true. It's crazy how just one relationship turns into another. And I, I know that it, it, it in part does kind of come back. I can put a financial spin on that because at the end of the day, when I talk to people that are at the point of retirement where they've built a successful practice, it's not necessarily the dollar, the, the dollars in their bank accounts, but it's the people in their life that really define their pure joy and happiness. No one ever said, gosh, I wish I would have earned a higher rate of return on my investments. <laughs> it's, it's the, I wish I would have either taken more time with my kids. I wish I would have worked a little bit more intentionally. I would have given back to my community. I would have been more involved in my community, right? They're the, they're the intangible things that yes, money is the catalyst and the vehicle to make some of those things happen. But at the same time, it's also being present and being cognizant of the limiting factors that we have in our life. And as we become more successful in each of our respective professions and practices, the time or the commodity of time because in, becomes an ever pressing and more important commodity rather than the money. Um, so well, well, yeah. thanks for joining anyway, us thanks today. For that was a, it was a great uh, <laughs> podcast. Deep real quick, so I'll bring, <laughs> um, I'll bring us back up right here. Uh, like, wow, note. I don't know what else there is to say after that. That was so damn good. I just want to drop the mic right there. Um, go ahead, Roya. What do we want to ask him? Well, God is here. I think on that sort of same message, I think so many of us do stress about money, right? You want to work hard. You want to make money to you know, in your younger years, pay off your debt, buy your house, 
you know, s- set up your family life, essentially. Then you get into your next generation and you're started just to like kind of pound the pavement to earn that nest egg so you can start to put more money away, start to retire, you know, think about retirement. And then you get to the latter years. And now, you know, it and any point of your, you know, work life, I suppose you could say, I think there needs to be a strategy, right? I think there needs to be a strategy of how you're going to go about working and living and not having your work define you, right? And I think, you know, going on the message that everyone talks about right now about burnout and working too hard, especially blah, doctors, blah, blah, why? blah, 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 so much, but it's true. And I think that a lot of it Powder, is because we're stressed. Puff. We're stressed about making money, right? We're stressed about that. It is something we have in our control to make money. I don't want this to be a wishy-washy topic. I want it to be something that you take no, home. But so, so can I? Can, so can I? Can I Do lay it. you on the proverbial couch here and ask Let's a question it. with that? So, why is that a concern? Why do we think that is a concern, or what do we think is the driving cause for people saying, "Oh, I got to make more money"? I don't know. I think because no one really knows how. Yeah, I think people don't have like a plan. Like we go to school and you say, I have four years. I have this during this year. I have clinicals during the next year. And then I'm planning on doing this and I'm going to open my, you know, there's always a plan. And then it's like, retire, make $10 million or (laughs) whatever it is. 28 year (laughs) gap in between that time where it's like, you're just kind of tossed up to sea, washing with the waves and hoping that you end up where you thought that you wanted to go, right? Exactly. Or you have a million ways to earn money that are weird and have numbers and letters like IRA, 401k, you know, all these weird things that no one really taught us about in students. Roth, all these weird terms. And I don't think that people understand as ways to earn money intelligently or even just how to pay off your debt the right way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a common phrase that I, that in, and, and I know your audience, right, is all across the board from students that are still in school to ODs that are successful practice owners to some that may be even considering an exit, right? So one of my, my goal is to hit across the spectrum here in our conversation tonight. But one of the things that I impress upon younger ODs or students to what you were saying, Roya, on, you know, we've got 401ks and there's like a book that are 401ks and 403bs and Roths, oh my, right? That's, <laughs> it, the vehicles, yes, those vehicles matter, but that you save matters exponentially more than what you save in and the stock selection or the investment selection that you choose from, right? I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with ODs that pine over the fact that fund ABC has an expense ratio of 0.23%, but fund ABC, what what letters did I use, right? Um, (laughs) GEF has an expense ratio of 0.18. Which one should I choose, Adam? Which one's going to be the better one? The answer is C. I don't really care. Just (laughs) pick one. And do yeah. it because let me tell you, the compounding effect over 0.04%, four basis points over a decade is not going to matter so much as whether or not someone actually did it. Um, and, and it also ties in, I guess I'll, I'll connect the dots on the other end of the spectrum for ODs that are experienced, that have been in this investing game, right? They've, they, they've, they've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, so to speak, have learned a lesson of hard knocks, and they get to the point where they know enough to be dangerous from an investing standpoint, and they're so focused on the performance of their portfolio. And my response to them is, 
I know I've had conversations with ODs that have outperformed the market, right? They've outperformed the benchmark that they're comparing their portfolio to, and yet they still come up short in retirement. And I know other ODs that have underperformed the benchmark, right? They've been in portfolios that were not necessarily maybe the best constructed. They were in high turnover funds or high expense ratio funds, whatever that might be, and quote unquote, underperformed the market. But relative to their saving strategies and how much they were planning on spending in retirement, they're actually going to be okay. So the real benchmark, I've got a podcast coming up on this. I guess that's a that's what they call a tease in the in 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 the oh, media yeah. business, right? <laughs> I've got a I've got a, a podcast episode coming up on why why comparing your portfolio to the benchmark is the wrong benchmark. I can't because... freaking wait. I'm so excited for that. <laughs> I love your podcast. I really do. I appreciate that. I really do. I really appreciate that feedback. Enjoy. I have found kind of the uh, the the intersection of of my vacation and vocation, right? I'm I'm fortunate to have the platform to be able to use something that candidly I'm I enjoy doing and feel like I'm fairly decent at and having conversations and conveying these points in a medium that that resonates well with listeners. So not to digress and pump my ego up too much there. But um, <laughs> my, my point in that is regardless of where you're at on the spectrum, you just need to start. You just need to have a plan. And coming back to what I asked Roy about why people feel this anxiety about saving, I, equi- I equate it to not only my personal journey that my wife and I and our family have gone through in our in our financial planning and business planning, right? As, as business owners ourselves going through this as, as your practice, as you go through what I call the survive to thrive transition, right? Where you're, and this is going to resonate with ODs that are cold starts where you're in a situation where you've got some financing, right? B of A or Wells Fargo gave you four five, six hundred $600,000. You did a cold start. You opened up on two days a week. You filled in, you moonlighted somewhere else, right? You're just grinding it out, which is what you have to do in the very beginning. There's no the substitutes. The rat race, yep. right? There's, you're in that hamster wheel. But what can eventually happen if you're not cognizant of it? And I would emphasize you don't have other people in your life to bring you aware or, or make you aware of the big picture, right? It's the classic seeing the forest for the trees. What can happen in that is that you get so ingrained in the habits that got you through the survive period that once you're in the thrive, you're just in a habitual mode of not really knowing what you need to do differently. And life passes you by at a pretty quick clip, right? What's the phrase as parents, we, we always hear that the days can be short, but or the, the days are long, but the years are short. Yeah. Um, yeah. For every parent out there, I'd really encourage you to read the book, um, The Family Board Meeting. I can't think of the author. author. It's up there in my bookcase. If I can read through it, I can't. There it is. <laughs> uh, Jim Shields, I think it is. S-H-E-I-L-S. That, look at that. Look at that uh, acuity. Ooh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Family Board Meeting. The thing that kind of walloped me upside the head reading that book is that you will, for all the ODs that are parents listening out there right now, there's a phrase in the, in the early couple pages of the book that says you will spend the majority of your life with your kids in the first 18 years of their life. And because, right, we have 18 summers from the time that our kids are born to the time they traditionally will go to college or go into their own field, whatever that might be. And I, I tie this back around specifically to practice owners more so than associates, though I think associates non-owners can fall into somewhat of a trap as well. But I say this to practice owners because what you have to understand is that your practice, you have a relationship with your practice, whether you're cognizant of it, whether you're aware of of it or not, you have a relationship with your practice. The difference between the relationship that you have with your practice 
or any business for that matter. I know D's that have real estate endeavors and they've, they've invested in restaurants and they have other like optometry is a very cash flow positive profession and it's predictable. So it allows out, it affords ODs the opportunity to expand their wings, if you will, from a cash flow and investment standpoint. So regardless of whatever business that you're involved in, the business and the relationship that you have with your business will be the most selfish relationship that you ever have in your life. Meaning your business will take of you as much as you give it without recourse or apology. The challenge that ODs have is knowing when to say enough and ensure that the business is serving them and not them serving the business. And the best way, if there's another way to do it, I am all ears. But the best way that I've been able to figure out how to put some guardrails around the time that we spend in and on our practice is to have, and I know this is Captain Obvious statement here, and it's going to sound really freaking boring. And I get that. Like I said, if you have a better mousetrap, I'm all ears. But the Uh, best way that I've been able to figure out how to do that is to have a freaking plan on the personal side. What amount of money do you need, quote unquote, right? I'm saying need here because relatively speaking, optometrists make a pretty darn good income compared to the compared to national averages, median household income, et cetera. So how much money do you need to enjoy the quality of life that you that you strive to provide for your family and, and work backwards from there. And that's, that's the emphasis and that's the joy that I get out of working with practice owners because we can start asking the question, what are you solving for? And just let them talk. Does that make sense? That was a pretty long monologue there. Hopefully, no, it, it, uh, it does. And you know what? I'll tell you what. I, I mean, I feel like I, I've heard you say that now and, and I, I hear you say that now again. <laughs> and I'm like, why can't you do that? It's almost like I'm afraid. <laughs> it's almost like I'm afraid yeah. to do that. I'll be honest. You know, it's almost like I'm afraid to do that because I'm afraid to look. Afraid at to pick a number or afraid to I'm afraid to look at what I'm spending. Even you know, like and and afraid to like you know see that on a piece. Of, and I know it's there. I could I could figure out right now. You know what what we spend and what we do and you know. So I mean, just this whole idea of of budgeting. You know, I think has always been something that I don't I, like budgeting. Budgeting is a four letter word. I don't budget. <laughs> we don't budget. Okay. Our household. Our so, household. Let me so tell when you, you say so what you the 90 seconds, live, let me give what, you the 90 second. This will blow your mind. Well, this, I shouldn't say, I don't want to, I don't want to tee it up, but I don't want to over promise and under deliver here. <laughs> blow my mind. I'm ready to be blown. My mind. The single greatest point to, if, if, if you're an OD listening and you have no idea, A, what you're spending and B, you're scared to look and you don't want to look for fear of what you might actually uncover. There's one place that you can go and very quickly. Your credit card? (laughs) No. Your bank? (laughs) Nope. Anybody else want to take a guess? What about, okay, okay, me. Credit Um, score? I don't know. Credit score. Nope. Nope. Um, Tax return. Ah. Go to your tax return. Okay. Go to your tax return. Go to your gross income. Take on, on page one of your 1040. Add up all the income that you get. Okay. Okay. Back out your retirement plan contributions that are also re- that are potentially reflected on your tax return, right? If you're a self-employed OD and you make a contribution to a SEP or a simple IRA as a solo employed OD, that's going to be on schedule one, not to get too deep into taxes here, but go to your tech, go to your tax return, take all your income, add that up, subtract the actual tax that you had to pay, which is going to be on page two, line 52. Three, don't quote me on the line. Page two of your you 1040. I know you will. <laughs> <laughs> right, 53. Gross income minus taxes minus <laughs> retirement plan contributions in its crudest form tells you where your money's going. 
Okay. The rest of it is going somewhere. And the only way in which you can say with confidence that, oh, I guess there is a delta between what I'm making versus what I'm spending is if you've got a bank account over here or an investment account, or in the practice, if you look at your balance sheet, if you compare balance sheet from 2020 versus balance sheet from uh, 2021 versus balance sheet from 2019, right? If, if you see your balance sheet and your practice continue to grow and the assets, the cash on hand, the short-term cash reserves, is that if that continues to grow, I had one conversation, one OD that started working with us. And, and in part, one of the reasons that they aligned with us is uh, they had, they were sitting on about $935,000 of cash in their practice. They're like, what do we do with that? I'm like, I have some ideas, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they had been accumulating this and the inertia of not having clarity, conviction, and confidence around what they wanted to do with that cash flow, action was in action. So that coming back to the budget side of things, the only take what you're making, all of your gross income, minus taxes paid, minus retirement plan contributions that you've made as well. And that's going to be what you're spending, either discretionary and or, or I shouldn't say and or, discretionary and fixed expenses, right? Mortgage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing to that, back to the back to the asset side, if you have a bank account, right, that or an investment account that continues to grow, that's going to be the next place to see. All right, on average, go look at the beginning of the year this year, look at the recurring year, or look at the previous year. How much has it grown over those last twelve months? If it's grown forty grand, all right. So on average, I'm saving you know three grand a month or so. That's that's going to give you a ballpark to get into the right mindset, or not really the right mindset, but at least at least have some guardrails around what you need to be saving. And here's why that's important. I don't like budgeting. I I know clients don't like budgeting. I know that sounds blasphemous, right? For a CFP to say, I budget my business religiously, but I don't budget on the household side of things because we know what we're producing or we, we know what we need I think here's here's the other thing that I'll say in in both my personal experience as well as with with the ODs that we're privileged to serve is that the greater the delta between what the practice produces and what they've lived with what they've been living on prior to coming to work with us the less the budget necessarily matters, right? We've had clients that have come to us. We've had relationships where they're in their mid fifties and they don't have a dime saved, or maybe they have 20, 30 grand in some type of retirement account. Now we know that they're redlining their lifestyle. They're having to extract every single dollar out of the practice just to quote unquote survive on the personal side. So yeah, there we do have to get pretty militant and surgical on a budgeting standpoint to just figure out what do we need to cut away so that we can align, align action with intention. Um, yep. so, but so if you're, if, if you're, go, go ahead, ahead, Jimmy. No, no, I, I, I was going to kind of bring you back to, um, you know, the, the, we're starting out now, right? You know, if it, say we're starting out, we're new to this whole deal. You know, we have this idea that, you know, of course everybody's pounded into our heads, right? You know, of course we have the student loan thing and, and then, you know, we want to buy a house. We want to, you know, get into practice. We want to do all this stuff. So let's kind of go back to the new grad or or new to practice. We don't have any savings. We don't have a financial planner. We don't, you know, none of that has ever been a reality for us. Where is a good place to start both from, because I want to say I listened to your newest podcast with, um, and by the time this plays, it might not be the newest podcast, but it was with Aaron Newfeld. Um, oh yeah. Yep. 
and uh, that just came out, I think, this week, right? And um, yeah, part two is this week. Last, I can't wait. Um, so Aaron um, is uh, OD's on finance guy. Young OD uh, has financial parents, you know, I, I believe, right? So that's where you know he got, I think, some of his. Uh, passion or drive or, you know, base knowledge. Um, and he's gotten quite involved. And so, you know, what's interesting is I think 10 years ago, five years ago, nobody was really talking about investing. Now everybody's talking about investing, literally everyone, every single yeah. person is investing and they're investing in Bitcoin and they're investing in seriously though, this is let's be careful I, with our word invest. Let's be careful with, with, with defining investing versus speculating versus trading versus gambling. That's a okay. different conversation for a well, deeper the, time, but well, I like that. I like, I like that. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up They're They, they think they're investing yes. in, in Bitcoin. They think they're investing on Robin hood stocks, watching daily, daily, you know, this, 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 that, blah, 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 blah. And so it's interesting to see on ODs on finance, all this conversation about, you know, what they're doing and how they're investing, you kind of get this like feeling of a little bit of anxiety. Like, should I be doing that too? Like I, I'm, I'm missing out right. yeah, on like this huge opportunity. I could be a bajillionaire because of Dogecoin. You know, I really need to get on this <laughs> bandwagon. So like you got, let's just put that to the side. We don't need to talk about that per se, but you have this sense of awareness to this world. And then this whole other sense of for our whole life, people have been saying, Hey, look, you should really get a financial planner when you graduate, when you turn into a real, you know, boy or girl and go out into the world and start putting something away, right? Like you said, do some savings. So I was, I loved hearing you say my investments are boring. Uh, you know, um, Aaron said the same thing. His investments are boring. And so tell us the boring right way, you know, and some good <laughs> ideas to kind of get started numbers and vehicles. That is so, the hardest so with part. the preface. Yeah, it is. It is. And so with the preface that this is not individualized investment advice, please do your own due diligence and research, right? I don't know your situation. You know, the, the listeners of trying to blink, right? With, with that somewhat uh, obligatory uh, disclaimer there. Yes. The And of course, reach out to him of, and get actual advice about well, your own. So case. in all but honesty, and, and this is going to sound, you, know? you can, you can. But in all honesty, the thing that what we're, so I am... Oh, and I don't know, this is going to be even more accountability. I'm building a course. So I'm building an online course for ODs. Working title is Becoming Brilliant at the Basics, the ABCs and 123s to Financial Independence for New Graduates, right? It's going to be Great. the, for lack Love of a better it. word, cocktail napkin financial plan. Do these, become, do these ABC 123s and do that for a decade and you're going to be just fine. And then when things get a little bit more complicated, where you do need some individualized advice, where we now need to maybe start, I don't want to say coloring outside the lines, but we're now customizing a little bit of the plan. Yep. Great. Then you can connect with an advisor to help customize, you know, but you, but you have the foundation, right? If we use the, the building a house analogy here, all we're talking about here in the first 10 years of practice, the first 10 years post-graduation is pouring a really good foundation and building some really solid walls of your basement. Um, everybody can understand that and maybe laying the floor to keep that metaphor going. So what you first need to do, you need to have cash in a bank. You need to have that emergency fund. You need to have, uh, and that's not crypto. And I'm not anti-crypto. Let me just put this out there just for those that are listening right now. I own crypto. Okay. We have a small portion of our portfolio. My general rule of thumb, A, 
generally speaking, don't put anything into it that you otherwise couldn't afford to lose. So I'm not saying it's gambling money. I'm just saying in the, in the sense of investing, this is such a new asset class that we don't know what the, what the, what, what, what the, um, I keep using this word, but it's, it's true. Like what the guardrails of this, what the expected returns of this asset class is. Right. So I'm not anti-crypto, but this is not, you know, I saw posts where, Back during the whole meme stock craze of GameStop, AMC, Express, um, BlackBerry, like I saw people posting in uh, Odie's on Facebook and Odie's on Finance about how, oh, I put my student, I put my housing money on AMC. Guess I won't have to buy groceries this year, or, or <laughs> I guess guess I'll be able to afford groceries. And I'm like, holy, you know what? Like, they're, they're so to your point, it can it, it's easy to get sucked into this FOMO mentality. And the frustrating part about it from my perspective is that wealth building is still a very, very crockpot method. Just put it in, put it on low, drop some barbecue sauce on it and let it go. Like <laughs> it'll be fine. It'll all work out. It always does. So once you have your emergency fund in place, the next place you're going to want to look, ironically enough, if you have an HSA, start working through your HSA. An HSA is a triple tax threat type uh, investment account, or it can be an investment account. There's a tax deduction up front. The money grows tax deferred if you invest it in your HSA. HSA, HSA platforms like TD Ameritrade, HSA Bank, Lively.me. Those are three really good platforms that we've used. All have low cost investments that once you get up to a certain amount, usually a couple thousand dollars in there, you can invest that. So the investments in the HSA grow tax deferred. And then when you take those investments out or when you take distributions out of that account for healthcare expenses, those are tax free. So you get the deduction going in, the deferred growth and the tax-free distribution. So the HSA actually, purely from a tax standpoint, actually trumps the Roth IRA, which is the next step. So once you fund your HSA, go to the Roth IRA. If you're under the limits of the Roth IRA, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll keep this high level. We're not going to get into the weeds on each individual one. If you're interested in learning more, um, we've got resources on our website. You can. There's a lot of different resources to understand Roth IRAs and backdoor Roth IRAs, right? But right now in 2021, the limit is $6,000 per person. If you're over the age of 50, you can put in an extra $7,000 or <laughs> an extra $1,000 for a total of $7,000. So that's going to be you know $500 a month is going to be going into the Roth IRA. My point is, honestly, oh, and one thing I forgot about the, uh, in between there, if you are working for an employer or you're a practice owner that has sponsored a retirement plan like a simple IRA or a 401k, put money into that up to the match. A simple IRA will match 3%. Most practices, all the practices that we work with um, have, have a safe harbor provision in their 401k. That's generally what practices should have, which is a 4% match. In order to get the 4% match, you need to put in 5%. I'm going to stop there because when you look at the first 10 years of earnings of an OD, by the time we get an emergency fund, put money into an HSA, put money into a 401k and do a Roth, if you can even do those four, like you're kind of maxed out on on what you can save from a discretionary spending. And when you add up those things, $6,000 into the Roth, let's call it, let's just say the average OD salary, just to make the math easy is, it, it, let's say it's an associate making hundred grand a year. You're putting in 5,000 into the 401k, 5% of hundred grand, $5,000. The employer's matching 4%. So that's $4,000. So 9,000 plus 6,000 in the Roth, that's $15,000. Plus you're putting in the HSA general, very general general rule of thumb has 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 said that if you can save somewhere between 15 to 20 percent of your gross income the rest of your financial plan is the back of a freaking shampoo bottle 
lather, rinse, repeat. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, sure does. Sure does. With the HSA, so, would you recommend top? that even kidding. if you have uh, insurance, like health insurance? Like, So you, yeah, you have to have what's called a high deductible health care plan yeah. in order to fund an HSA. So I put the asterisk next to the HSA. If you... If you if you have an HSA qualified healthcare plan, I know that was a mouthful there, but you just have you you have to have a you have to have a certain deductible, and I believe the deductible. Don't quote me on these numbers, but I know you will. Um, an yes, individual yeah. plan is like one thousand two hundred fifty dollars, and a family plan, the family deductible needs to be at least twenty five fifty um, or twenty six hundred. It's it's a relatively low deductible. Uh, to qualify for a high deductible healthcare plan and the plan itself must have the word HSA eligible in the name of the plan. If it does have those things, then I'd, then I'd recommend inserting the HSA into that kind of, you know, financial Maslow's hierarchy of needs from a savings standpoint. If you don't have access to an HSA, then your order of, of savings, get that emergency fund anywhere from the low end two months on the high end, maybe four to six months of living expenses. Um, side note, if you're going to start a practice, my general rule of thumb is to get at least nine months of living expenses in the bank so that you're not that you're not dependent on taking cash out of the business in the first nine months, ideally 12 months of the year so that you can reinvest back into the practice. Again, different concept or different conversation for a, um, for, for a different time, but get that emergency fund in place. Then the HSA, if possible, if you don't have the HSA, max out the 401k up to the match, then do the Roth IRA at $6,000 per year. And then anything else, if you do have discretionary money, goes back into the 401k or simple IRA up to $19,500 or $13,500 respectively, 401k and HSA. Those are the limits. Anything above and beyond that, just start building wealth. Open a brokerage account, Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, and invest in low cost, low turnover, broadly diversified index funds. Wealth building and investing is still a very, very boring process. And that's okay. It works. We have quite literally over a hundred years of data that says that it works. It's yeah. easy to get distracted with the shiny objects on Facebook and Wall Street bets and Instagram and TikTok and Oh, like, TikTok's all over with that right now. I don't I'm not on TikTok. Well, I you know gotta my get personality on it. well in hell no. You gotta get on it. <laughs> yeah. Nope. You'd be a good for it. You'd be real good no, on TikTok. No, no. I am uh, um I have way too much Forget uh, the course. way too <laughs> Forget the course. Just, just do TikTok videos. So basically what I'm getting out of this on a high level is attempting to invest around 15 to 20% of your annual income. Is that a safe If you do that in the first 10 years of your, if, if you can do that in the first 10 years of practicing, um, you're going to be so much better off than colleagues that have fallen into the trap that, that, that I've seen happen where they think it's so complicated that their decision is to not make a decision and they just get yeah. paralyzed by that fear of, Oh yeah, there's you know, 401k. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later. What's on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think too, I think that I sometimes when it's like a percentage, right. And I'm thinking, and I see the number and I'm like, ouch, that's a lot of money for me to not be getting, but I shouldn't think that way. Like that is my money for the future. Right. I'm not paying anyone but myself. I'm just putting in a little bank that I can't touch in a while, <laughs> right? Like uh, I think especially a 401k well, is such an easy way to not mess with your money. 
I hand to God right now, I have no clue how much is in my, my own 401k right now. <laughs> I have, I know it's six figures, but I, I, I have, I, I might be able to get within $50,000 might. I, I just, I, it's on autopilot. Don't worry about it's it. not yeah. what moves. In, no, no. And, and, and not to digress too far down this path. If I look at where I can get the best investment, the best return on investment with a dollar right now, that's generating in my business. It's not going to be in my 401k. It's going to be back into my business. It's going to be right. expanding totally. my business and growing the brand and, and, and doing more to leverage the work that we're doing in the optometry space nationwide. So that that's a, maybe a deeper conversation for a different time, but uh, can I, can I maybe stump, if you will, or, or just get on a, a mini soapbox about Please. soapbox is the wrong word, but Podium. put ODs at ease. Thank you. Yes. yes. Um, that are young, that, that are within the first 10 years of practicing. So one of the things that I talk about with ODs is that it, it is fully understandable and rightfully so to be, um, can we curse on this show? Is it, do we, oh Yeah. I, Okay. Okay. To yeah. Be, to, to be scared shitless. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's okay to be scared shitless when you That's get feeling, out of a commentary school not a because <laughs> there you go. That was a bad in my word. job interviews. So, so this this slight digression in my when I'm interviewing to hire people in the firm, I ask the question, "What's your favorite cuss word?" Because <laughs> like you've got to be able, you've got to be comfortable swearing in the office, or you've got to be at least comfortable with me swearing. Uh, yeah, if, if, love it. So anyway, not to, we're going to start too far. asking so, all of our guests that question too. Oh, Next yeah, to do, I love animal. that. Yeah, we're what's totally stealing. Well, I'll never forget right. Jimmy's we'll question you. to me the first time. Uh, so, so what's your uh, what's your favorite? What was it? A super animal? And I said liger. <laughs> I think. Spirit um, animal. I oh, you're a liger. That's right. Uh, yeah, you're a spirit animal. You Spirit animal, that's what it was. And you caught me completely off guard. I'm like, um, we like to, we like to, that was really good. Good. Actually, we've never had a liger. You're the only one. It's true. It's a very it's true. unique animal. Uh, so, anyway, anyway, uh, back to regularly scheduled programming here. Thank you. Um, my, my, so it's okay to be scared. Shitless. Here's why it's when we look at an optometrist coming out, and this is why, side note, why I'm so bullish on practice ownership. Because when you come out of optometry school, you have the proverbial three strikes against you right away. Number one, you took an extra four, possibly five, if you did a residency, uh, five years of education, to, uh, which anybody else that just graduated the bachelor's degree and is now working and earning income, they have, assuming that they started saving right away, they now have a four or five year head start. Even if they right. do the basics that I just talked about earlier, right? The Roth and the 401k, they have five years, four to five years of head start, which when you take compounding interest over a 25 to 30 year time span is a huge head start and a huge yep. leg up. That's strike one. Strike two is those four or five years come with a decent price tag next to them, right? Average OD is, let's call it 180 to 200, maybe a little bit over in student loan debt. My, my record, well, we had them on the show that I've heard of. Uh, we had them back. Um, they were at $641,000, I think, between between wow. two of them. And it's been one of our, one of our more popular episodes. Um, they are, they're, they're close to, anyway, different conversation. Um, so that's, that's strike two, right? You've got uh, a, a buttload of, of student loan debt to chisel out of. And then number three is that if you aspire to be a practice owner, now you got to you have to write a check or get financing for 
four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars, depending on the size of the practice and all the bells and whistles that you attach to that practice to start a practice. And now you've got monthly debt service to to add on top of that. So in oh, and don't forget buy a house, maybe have that whole family thing that brings us a lot of joy. And so with the stroke of three or four checks, you're now over a million dollars in debt, which can, as I sum this up here, be a pretty paralyzing feeling. Here's totally. where it doesn't necessarily scare me because I've seen the other side of that. And we've had these, we, we've done this for so many ODs and we've had this conversation with so many ODs and, and I, and I have the data, right? I, I've seen the profit loss statements. I've seen the tax returns. I've seen the statement of cash flows and the investment accounts that happen. There's a, there's a tipping point. There's a capitulation point that happens in optometry after you've been out for, let's call it 10 to 12 years, assuming that you're a relatively decent steward of business practices and you don't run the practice into the ground, which let's face it, you've almost got to try to do that in the optometry space. Um, again, not to digress too far down that path, but assuming that you're, that you're running a reasonably profitable practice and you don't let lifestyle creep follow the success of the practice, if you can build a practice doing anywhere on the low end, let's call it 850 to 900,000. If you're doing a million, 1.2, 1.3 consistently, and you're operating somewhere in that 20 on the low end, gosh, if you're doing 20% total owner's comp on a $1.2 million practice, like there's some work to be done there. We, we should be able to get that closer to 30%, but let's just call it in that 20 to 30%. Let's just do the basic math. If you're doing a million dollar practice and even on the low end of, of, of a 20% total owner's compensation, that's $200,000 a year. Granted, yes, it's pre-tax, okay? Most owner practices are going to have a 10-year note that you're financing if you're buying into the practice. If you're buying a, if you're a successor OD scenario and you're buying a practice out, you're going to have a 10-year plan. So when that four, five, six thousand dollars per month payment goes away after you've paid off that owner doctor, that senior doctor, you now have cash flow. And this is where just making good business decisions in the practice, we've have I have practice owners that are now in their late 30s, early 40s. That when we talk on a quarterly basis, we're pulling out seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year out of the practice. Now, some of these are exceptional practices, right? The the example that I talked to that that I emailed Roy and Jimmy about, right? Or that he, why did I refer to you in third person? Um, I'm staring at you <laughs> on the screen here, but <laughs> um, right, there are some exceptional situations where where docs are running high net, sometimes even high volume practices. But even in the in the generic normal distribution bell curve of a practice, you can still produce a decent income and catch up. You can spend the last fifteen to twenty years if you're a good steward of that cash flow. And bring yourself back up to where everybody else was when they graduate, you know, all of your other friends that are non-ODs, non-practice owners, where they are. And because now you have the power of cash flow on your side, you can lap them and you yeah. can really be in control of your income. And then the icing on that, and then I'll, I'll wrap up with this last thought here. The icing on that cake is, and this comes back to planning life on purpose, when you start asking yourself, how can my practice serve me? in the last five to 10 years of practicing, this is where you start having the conversations about, all right, let's assume that the practice is doing 30% gross profit or um, uh, 30, 30% total owner's compensation. 20% of that is your compensation for working in the practice clinically. And 10% of that is return on equity as the owner of the practice. I, I know them and I'm sure the two of you know ODs as well that have no interest in ever owning a practice, but they love the, they love the, the, the uh, the field of optometry and they love clinical care. And so yeah. if you can find an OD to replace you in the practice as the work in the practice, 
and just quote unquote, sit back and collect a check and provide quote unquote, part-time business management to the practice of the well-oiled machine that you've spent the last 15, 20 years building up. It's a good yes, deal. you need to have a plan and contingency to sell, right? You, you will leave your practice at some point, whether it's on your terms or someone else's. So I'm not saying that you can be cavalier and just negate the fact that you have to have proper succession planning. But my point is, you don't have to go into the situation thinking that, oh, I have to have all this money saved at 60 because I'm just going to walk away and not have anything to show for it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. And I think, you know, so many of the things that you talk about are things that roll around in my head constantly as a practice owner, as a dad, um, you know, other business interests, uh, just, you know, things that, you know, I, I stay up at night thinking about and, um, you know, definitely appreciate all of the advice, you know, and direction that you give on the podcast. So I cannot be more, um, you know, uh, direct to the listeners, please go listen to 2020 money. Um, you know, if you like what he is talking about, he doesn't do it, you know, um, just because he enjoys it, he does enjoy it, but he does also have a business, uh, that, that provides, you know, professional financial planning services, uh, to doctors of optometry at every aspect of our professional evolution. So uh, please uh, reach out to him. Uh, Adam Schmela, we really appreciate your time. Uh, we know you're taking time out of your busy personal life, and we do appreciate that. So get back with your kids and enjoy <laughs> your uh, rest of your day. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate it. Thank you both for having me yes, back again. I really enjoyed so, this conversation. So uh, the tent is in the backyard uh, waiting. We're camping with her seven-year-old daughter tonight. So uh, this is her first time <laughs> camping. It's my first time camping in probably a good 20 years. So uh, I, this isn't camping though. This is glamping, right? I mean, the backyard, <laughs> yeah. or the, the, the house, the warmth of the house is... 15 feet away so let's call spade a spade here but uh thank you so much for having me i appreciate uh sharing the sharing 2020 money with uh with your audience we will certainly do the same and and encourage all of our audience to uh, to check out trying to blink as well so great to connect with you both again thank you so much thank you likewise well that's it before we go reach out to us for feedback questions stories things you want us to talk about either through email or on our instagram or facebook we never depart without saying thanks to valley contacts for the support both for amazing menses they make and the great people they are to work with. And be sure and tune in and listen to our next episode. But until then, try not to blink. <laughs> <laughs>